Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Well, good morning. Today is the day. Today is Tuesday, December the 3rd, 2019. This is the day the Lord has made, and we are rejoicing in it. It is Giving Tuesday. It is also, uh, because you know me, Tasty Tuesday. Uh, So let us taste and see that the Lord is good, and let us um, be extending that blessing to others to help others taste and see that the Lord is good. It's also the third day of Advent December the 3rd, and we are in the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And so I read the opening of chapter 3 at the beginning of the first hour, and I'm going to pick up at verse 21 here uh, at the top of the second hour so that we all get a, a little bit of the Word of God directly into us today. And I want us to be asking ourselves, where in the Word am I? And have I been in the Word of God before I am going out into the world that God so loves? As a you know, as an agent of His grace and as a person um, filled with His Holy Spirit, to really be an ambassador of His kingdom, um, what what is in us is what comes out of us when the world squeezes us, and when the world puts pressure on us, which it does every single day. And so, if the Word of God is not in you, the Word of God is not going to come out of you when the pressures rise uh, throughout the day. So, let me encourage you to get into the Word of God, that the Word of God might get into you as you get into the world. So, here we go, Luke. Chapter 3, picking up at verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, and this would be by John, uh, who we know as the baptizer, Jesus was baptized too. Now, Luke does not go into this story nearly as robustly as John does, and so if you want to read about the baptism of Jesus, you can do so in all four of the Gospels. Uh, I think that John's um, description of it is the most, the most complete. Here we just get from Luke, and as he was praying— Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now let's just pause there for just a moment. This is the only time in all of human history that this has happened. This is one of the places where God the Father uh, absolutely acknowledges, recognizes, names, and claims Jesus as his own son. He is revealing to all um, his Trinitarian nature. Jesus is the one being baptized, second member of the Trinity, fully God, fully man. As he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity, descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, God the Father, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. There is a lot going on Uh, in these just few verses here in the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Now, what happens next is what I would call the ancestry version, uh, one of the the places where Jesus' genealogy is laid out. This is the Joseph genealogy. Um, In Matthew, we get the Mary genealogy, the genealogy of Jesus through the line of Mary. Here we get it through the line of Joseph. And so um, that is here as well. And it concludes 
with, it begins with, um, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. And then it goes on uh, back through Joseph's, Joseph's lineage all the way back to Adam. And it concludes, son of Adam, son of God. Jesus is the very son of God, claimed by God in public at his baptism, claimed again uh, at the mountain of transfiguration, claimed again at the cross. Uh, Let us ne'er forget who Jesus really is as we unwrap him this Advent. Next up, I am going to talk with Mark Lagon about the global fight against AIDS, and we're going to talk about World AIDS Day, which just happened this past Sunday. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Okay, I better correct myself. Uh, Luke's is the maternal lineage, uh, and and uh, Matthew's is the is the lineage of Joseph. So thank you for uh, for correcting me on that. Okay, Mark Lagon is back with us today from the global fight. Mark, remind us what the global fight is and why we are talking today specifically about AIDS. Uh, Friends of the Global uh, Fight Against AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria is an advocacy organization uh, that brings people together uh, to to try and support the Global Fund, an organization that uh, funds faith-based groups, uh, secular groups, and governments around the world to fight the three most deadly infectious diseases uh, in the world, including AIDS. And are you guys participating in Giving Tuesday? Uh, we are uh, indeed and, uh, you know, urging people to give to, to things that uh, uh, focus on those um, stigmatized, marginalized people around the world who, who still are, are vulnerable to AIDS. All right. So let's talk about AIDS. We just, um, I don't know, recognized, acknowledged, celebrated seems like completely the wrong word, um, although... The great advances have been made, but a lot of people still suffer. So talk with us about World AIDS Day, which just happened this past Sunday. Well, it's a good occasion to uh, remember, uh, you know, the devastating impact um, of HIV AIDS today, but how much progress has been made by the world. Um, in particular, the program that President Bush Uh, started up, um, PEPFAR, the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, um, has been really crucial in galvanizing cooperation around the world to to fight uh, the problem. Um, And so in the area of the world where um, there are the most, uh, there's the biggest impact, sub-Saharan Africa, HIV infections have declined by 28% from 2010 to 2018. Um, and uh, with the most vulnerable population, adolescent girls and young women between ages of 15 to 24, um, in 2010, eight-tenths of a percent of girls and young women got HIV-AIDS. Now it's down to half a percent. But it is that that 42 percent drop um, just should lead us to stop and think, oh, my goodness, there's still one out of 20 girls in sub-Saharan Africa uh, get AIDS. 
And four out of five of the new infections for AIDS um, among adolescents are girls. Those are the vulnerable. I find those numbers really extraordinary. Um, I think that uh, Americans, or as Americans, most of us are, you know, this is kind of off our radar. And that's one of the reasons that you and I continue to talk about it. Um, I do think that back in the, in the Bush era, um, we did talk about this a lot more. Um, PEPFAR has been a really extraordinary ongoing effort, um, now supports nearly 15.7 million men, women, and children on life-saving HIV treat- treatments in more than 50 countries around the world. That is extraordinary. Um, this next stat that you sent me is, is equally extraordinary. PEPFAR has enabled more than 2.6 million babies to be born HIV-free to mothers who are living with HIV which allows then these children to survive and thrive. Um, Talk with us about um, prevention, but also talk with us about treatment. These 15.7 million men, women, and children on life-saving HIV treatment, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, I'd love to, if I just kind of interject something about mothers who have HIV and their babies being HIV-free. This is such a remarkable change, thanks to the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria, and PEPFAR. It used to be that um, HIV was a death sentence for a mother and a, and a death sentence for a child who was inevitably going to get HIV. Um, just a friend of mine, Maureen Marenga, is a woman living with HIV in Kenya. Um, we just asked her to join our board of, of uh, Friends with the Global Fight. Her first son got HIV from her. Her second son did not. All of them are living because of the treatment. But the, the possibility of a mother with HIV not passing to their child, this is something in our control. You ask about treatment. Um, people can live with HIV AIDS and be on antiretroviral treatment um, around the world. Um, now, about 65% of the 38 million people around the world who, uh, who live with AIDS have access to treatment. Now we not need to think about the 35%. All right. I, I just have to – I'm reading now from um, – you sent me this UN AIDS Executive Director Report, um, Cabinet Secretary of the Health of Kenya, um, this power to the people. And I'm just going to read this sentence. The report shows that significant progress has been made, which you you and I have just talked about, particularly in expanding access to treatment Um, as of mid-2019. So I I just want these numbers to grip us for a moment, and I know we have to take a break. An estimated 24.5 million of the 37.9 million people living with HIV. So let's just pause there for a moment. Nearly 38 million people around the world are living with HIV. 24.5 million of them have access to treatment. That gap in between is where you and I still want to raise people's concern. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Um, We're making progress. 80 million people, you know, last year got HIV testing thanks to the U.S. PEPFAR program. But we got to make sure those who do have it have access to the treatment because the marginalized still have uh, don't have access to uh, what the, you know, better off people in any country uh, can do. And that's what Jesus calls upon us to, to worry about. All right. Mark Lagon and I are going to return in just a moment. We are talking about AIDS around the world and what you and I can do um, as a part of the solution 
uh, to this challenge. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Mark Lagon, um, we have had Mark on the program before. He's a respected scholar. He's a former ambassador. Um, he works with a group of people who are highly committed uh, to bringing an end to the three, can I use the word diseases? Yeah, indeed. The three diseases that cost the most people you know, their lives around the world, um, diseases that here in the United States, we do not often think very much about Malar- malaria and tuberculosis, certainly on this list. But today we are talking uh, about AIDS. When I go to the um, the global fight dot org, Mark, um, and I scroll down just a little bit, I see this map. And I see the map where um, you guys have active you know, partnerships and where the global fight is is actively engaged um, and I may be surprised at just how far north um, some of those countries are. Um, and it's not all in Africa and India and, you know, the islands of Indonesia. Uh, it's South America. It's Central America. And it's um, it's Europe. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, the U.S., uh, program itself, PEPFAR, focusing on AIDS, is extremely focused on sub-Saharan Africa and has made a huge difference. Um, The Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria, which is really fabulous for the United States because it gets other countries, other rich countries, to do their part and share the burden, um, it, it works all over the world. And so while there have been, uh, has been a marked reduction in HIV infections in sub-Saharan Africa, 28% over the last eight years, there are some places where um, things aren't going so well. In Eastern Europe and Central Asia, HIV infections have gone up by 29%. In the Middle East and North Africa, they've gone up by 10%. In Latin America, they've gone up by 7%. And um, pandemic uh, disease is in two senses, has reaches us. All people are of equal value, and we are knitted together with them uh, wherever they are. And so someone who is afflicted and vulnerable um, is you know, part of our, our you know, um, common humankind, children of God. But additionally, it's, it's a health security issue. And for, in particular, some of the issues, some things like tuberculosis, the most likely way that you die when AIDS uh, zaps your immune system, that's something that people can catch. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, travelers of the United States, U.S. military can can get it. And so it, it, it touches us, at, you know, in that sense, too. Is it possible to actually eradicate a disease? Um, and I'm I know the answer is good yes. So I'm hoping I'm hoping you'll tell us like a good news story. Like so tell us a story about a disease that has been eradicated so that we can sort of catch the vision for eradicating these? Well, it's a great uh, question. Um, malaria of the three diseases, which is, you know, people, uh, t- t- particularly kids uh, in the developing world, die because they're merely uh, subject to being bitten by a mosquito. They get it and they suddenly pass. And a simple uh, measure of the most up to date 
malaria bed nets for them to sleep under or the best drugs to treat them if they get it, has bringing numbers of countries uh, to eradication. And much of South America is, is close to eradication. And there are a good 20 countries in the world, mostly in sub-Saharan Africa, that are, that are getting there. Um, the right word to think of is ending an epidemic. Uh, we, we won't, are unlikely with AIDS to get to the point where there's no AIDS in the world. But we are within reach, even within 10, 12 years, to actually eradicate the, um, you know, the epidemic, to end the epidemic status um, and, and have the growth not be, you know, so... Um, problematic. But there's a huge youth generation, growing population in Africa. Um, there's resistance to drugs. Um, there is that particular vulnerability of young women who are infected by men who are slightly older than them. Um, and that means we need to keep pace. I have a good news story to share. Um, Pastor Rick Warren, who I, I think the world of, and, and he, you know, he really guides us to uh, pursue the kind of life that the Lord would wish us to. He got together with uh, a, a sort of surprising group of people, the former Se Republican Senate Majority Leader Dr. Bill Frist, the former Democratic Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle, Elton John, and George Bush's head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, Richard Myers. They sent a letter to Congress thanking them for increasing funding this year for the Global Fund, and then in turn, getting other countries to follow suit because the U.S. did that. That kind of uh, collective effort and getting others to step up with us is what it will take to end, end an epidemic like AIDS. Uh, and I think that the the friends that we have to make and the um, and the and the people with whom we need to co-labor in this effort are going to be people who um, have influence in communities and spaces where we do not. And so I think when we talk about this unlikely collective that includes Rick Warren and, and Elton John uh, and Republican and, and Democrat leaders um, from across a couple of different generations, uh, I think we're talking about the kind of collaborative work that we need to be engaged in uh, if we if we recognize that, you know, this is not just uh, a fight that Christians are going to be involved in. This is something that is going to be global in nature, and it's going to be something that is genuinely collaborative. I, I think that's important, and one of the reasons why it's good that the United States and others back the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, in addition to the wonderful PEPFAR program of the U.S., is the collaboration. It insists, the Global Fund insists that faith-based actors, uh, secular civil society actors, businesses, local governments be the ones who are the implementers, that they come up with the plan, that they apply for, for money, and only if it's that group with that kind of buy-in, including faith actors, who are some of the best um, people to reach uh, the most vulnerable, the most remote, the most poor. That uh, collaboration model is important. And it, those countries are beginning, those countries in Africa and the developing world are beginning to spend more of their own resources because the Global Fund says, we're not going to give you all of our grant if you don't step up some yourself. 
And so that model of collaboration, sometimes a little bit tough love in that case, um, is, is so important for us to get to a point where countries own this. And more important than governments, the people and the believers of a country owning it. Mark, uh, as always, thank you for what you do, uh, and thank you for helping us participate. Thank you for keeping us informed and inviting us in as well. Uh, people can find more information at theglobalfight.org, theglobalfight.org. Mark Lagon, thank you so much. Uh, Carmen, you're wonderful, and Advent season is such a time for us to reflect on how we are lucky and those who are less lucky. Uh, this is a great example. Hmm. Amen. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. All right, so we are talking about Advent, and next up we're going to be talking with Chris Wright uh, about Rejoice, Advent in all the scriptures. Um, So Chris Wright works with a group called the Langham Partners, and um, they are, I would just say, the ongoing ministry of John Stott. And so um, if you want a John Stott-related Advent devotional, This is the one. It's called Rejoice, and it's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Almost. It's a sad word in any man's dictionary. It it runs with nearly, next time, just about. It's, It's a word that smacks with missed opportunities. It's honorable mention on the bench and burnt cookies. This is Max Licato. One of the most famous almosts is in the Bible. His name was Pilate. He almost performed what had been history's greatest act of mercy. He almost pardoned the Prince of Peace. He almost released the Son of God. He had the power. He had the choice. The option to free God's Son was his, and he did it almost. Jesus never had room for almost. With him, nearly has to become certainly, and sometimes has to be always, and next time has to become this time. Almost may count in horseshoes, but with a master, it's just as good as a never. This is Max Lucado. Wright is joining us now. He is most recently the author of Rejoice, Advent in All the Scriptures, but he works uh, in an ongoing way with the Langham Partnership, and you can find him at Langham, L-A-N-G-H-A-M dot O-R-G. Chris, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Yeah, good to be with you. It's delightful to have you with us. Um, Let's start with reminding people um, who John Stott is and what Langham Partnership is doing. Well, John Stott was uh, a wonderful uh, English clergyman back, really, he died in 2011, but uh, he was the rector of All Souls Church, Langham Place, uh, there in London, uh, and he was a a remarkable evangelical minister uh, and served the churches all around the world. He saw that uh, the churches in places like Africa and some parts of Asia and Latin America were often growing very fast uh, evangelistically, but lacking in in resources and uh, discipling and pastoral teaching, in other words, lacking in in depth. And so he established the ministries of what is now called the Langham Partnership. Uh, The word Langham, just it's the name of the street in London where his church is. He he wouldn't name anything after himself. 
so the Langham Partnership tries to serve the church um, outside the West, in, in Africa, Asia, the Pacific region, Central Eastern Europe, Caribbean, and so on, Latin America, with uh, resources of, of books, uh, of uh, scholarships with higher levels of theological education for teaching and seminary, and for the training in biblical preaching. So Langham really carries on the, the, the legacy and the vision of John Stott. And so you have taken um, some of his writing in relationship to 25 uh, passages of Scripture, and then you have um, uh, added some commentary and some structure to it to produce this Advent devotional. Uh, It's called Rejoice, Advent in All the Scriptures. So talk with me about um, why you're interested in Advent and why you see Advent as something of a Cinderella in the church year. Yeah, thank you. That's that's a term I use in the preface. Well, I think because uh, Advent, which uh, just began really this this last Sunday, the first of December, is the season of the church's year, which looks forward first of all to Christmas and to the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but also traditionally within the church's year looks forward to the second coming of Christ. But the, the trouble is that Advent is a season which, yeah, precisely because it comes just before Christmas, tends to get rather swallowed up with Christmas approaching, and so it gets neglected very easily, like Cinderella was. Uh, And so even churches which are more traditional or liturgically minded might celebrate Advent at the beginning, but then somewhat forget about it when the Christmas trees and the nativity plays and everything start going up. So I felt it was important simply to to use this devotional as an attempt to say, look, uh, Advent speaks about the God who comes. He 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 comes all the way through Scripture. Uh, he came in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's coming again. And so the idea of the God who comes runs all the way through the Scripture, and that that's really the point of this uh, book of of daily devotions. Yes, in, in here you say the Bible is full literally from beginning to end with accounts of God coming in all kinds of ways and with all kinds of results, um, ranging from the distant past to the guaranteed future from creation to new creation. Um, talk, talk with us. I, I think we often think about, uh, you know, the advent of Jesus born um, in a particular time and place, and we know, we think we know that story, um, but we don't often think about all of the advent of God, all of the ways in which God comes, and we don't often uh, set our focus on the Advent yet to come. So just talk with us about some of those rhythms. Yeah, thank you. Well, the first part of the book does do that. It goes back to the Old Testament to show that uh, the God who is the creator God comes to his creation. He comes uh, in uh, creating it in the first place, but also providing for all his creatures. The Psalms are full of the God coming to, to bless, to give, to provide, to heal, to restore. So that's that's the God who comes as the creator. But then I thought I would put in a whole week of readings from the book of Exodus, because uh, in the story of Israel, of course, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were being oppressed. They were an ethnic minority subject to exploitation by the host majority nation. Uh, and, and God comes to them. He, he comes as he promised to Abraham, and he comes to rescue and deliver and save them. So the whole book of Exodus is about a God who comes as redeemer, as savior. And then I move on to the way the Old Testament says, well, what God did then back in the history of the Exodus, God is going to do again. He he will come, uh, he will bring salvation, he will bring his kingdom. And so the Old Testament points forward to, as you say, to what we now call Christmas, uh, to God becoming incarnate in Jesus. 
And we remember that his name or the, the, the title that he was given from Isaiah Emmanuel means God with us. Here, here's the God who has come. He's come to be with us, to be among us. Uh, so we rejoice at that quite rightly at Christmas. But of course, it leads us on then to Easter and to the death of Christ and his resurrection and ascension. Uh, and at his ascension, of course, Jesus reminds his disciples that he will return. He's, he's not gone away forever. Uh, and so the Bible points right forward to, to the end when God comes both in judgment to, to deal with all wrongdoing and sin and wickedness and to put all things right. Uh, and then he will come to make his dwelling place with us. The, the last great vision of the Bible is not of us going off to be somewhere else, which is part of that kind of mythological Christianity that we all just go to heaven sometime. The Bible ends with God coming to be with us. That's the way it's expressed very clearly in Revelation 21. Uh, I saw the kingdom, the, the city of God coming down, says John, from heaven, and the dwelling place of God will be with human beings, he says. That's the voice from heaven. Now the dwelling place of God is with us. That's the great Emmanuel at the very end of the Bible in those last two chapters. So, yeah, what I'm trying to do in the book is to show that this idea of the God who comes runs right through from creation through to the second coming of Christ and the new creation. Okay, and I love the uh, I love the diagram. You have this simple diagram that you say fits on the back of an envelope. Uh, when we come back from a quick break, I am going to let you describe the diagram. Um, I okay. realize that it's radio, so but we can talk through it. And um, I, it's a it, this diagram is actually a real a real gift to help us understand sort of the redemptive cosmology. It's not just about you know the cross being a bridge over a chasm. There's a whole lot more to the redemptive narrative and the redemptive arc of uh, of this personal universe in which we live with this great God. So Christopher Wright and I will be back in just a minute. We're talking about Rejoice, Advent in all the scriptures, his latest book. But really, we're talking about Jesus. So we'll be right back. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Then Lord... Continuing my conversation with Christopher Wright, we are talking about his uh, Advent devotional, it's entitled Rejoice Advent in All the Scriptures. Um, Chris, talk with us about this diagram. Uh, it begins with creation. It concludes with new creation. Uh, and I would, I don't know, am I supposed to describe it as a spiral? Yeah, I think spiral is probably the best way to describe it. Actually, originally it was set out as, as a straight line from left to right with, with seven parts. But uh, the publisher of this book, uh, IVP, decided that uh, that wouldn't fit easily on one page. So a very clever designer turned my straight line into a spiral. But it is important to realize that it is a spiral, not just a circle. Uh, in a sense, it starts in the middle with Act 1. What it's trying to say is that the whole Bible, the Bible as a whole, is one big story. And of course, there are hundreds of individual stories in the Bible. But as a canon of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible presents a, a major single narrative or a kind of drama with seven acts. And obviously, Act 1 is creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so that's there in the center of the diagram. And then working clockwise around the spiral, Act two is uh, the fall. We chose to rebel against God and to disbelieve his uh, His warnings and to disobey his instructions. And so we create the mess that we're in. But then act three of the Bible story really begins with Abraham and, and goes right on through the whole of the Old Testament. It's the story of Old Testament Israel 
and the ongoing promise of God, in which he persistently keeps his promises to Israel in spite of their sin and, and failure, uh, and ultimately promises that he will bring their saviour and their redeemer, which leads then to Act 4, which is down at the bottom of the diagram, which is the symbol of a large cross. Uh, and that, of course, is speaking of the gospel narrative of the, the birth and life and teaching and the atoning death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, that's the central message of the Bible. It's where God acts to save the world. But the Bible doesn't end there, does it? It moves on around the spiral to um, more or less at about uh, seven o'clock on the picture uh, to Act 5, which is beginning in the book of Acts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You have the age of, of the mission of the church. Uh, so we've moved from creation through fall, through Old Testament promise to the gospel, Fifthly, to the mission of the church, which, of course, is the act in the Bible where we are still, because we are in that part of the Bible that is between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ. And then Act 6, which is up there at about 11 o'clock, uh, I've called the final judgment, uh, because before the new creation, before God makes all things new, God will put all things right and judgment is actually part of the gospel, because what it's saying is it is good news that God will not allow evil to have the final word, that ultimately God will judge and destroy that which is wicked and evil. The, the universe will not go on forever being a place in which evil has any reality or existence. God will ultimately destroy that and put all things right. So that's Act 6, I've called as the day of judgment or final judgment. And that leads finally at the very top of the diagram, that's why it looks like a spiral, uh, to the new creation when God makes all things new, the new heaven and the new earth in which God will dwell with us in resurrection bodies like the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, it's a diagram. Uh, it tries to represent the whole Bible story. In this book, it's presented as a spiral, but you could also set it out as a straight line in, in seven acts from, from left to right. And that's that's the way I've done it uh, when I've been able to do it on the back of an envelope. So here's what I uh, particularly appreciate about this. Um, I think that for many people, the diagram has ended at the cross instead of our understanding that the cross is um certainly the the pinnacle it's certainly the uh it's it's certainly the hinge upon which the rest of it hangs but it is but a hinge and there is a mission for god's people um beyond the cross we don't arrive at the cross and there we are saved and that is the end of the story it really for the christian life is the beginning of the story uh That's and so right. talk talk with us about um because what you guys do through langham partnerships uh, is is really inspiring and encouraging. Um, the way I view it, you have recognized the deep need for the Bible to be known deeply uh, by God's people in order that it could be transmitted generation to generation. And so why is it so critical for every generation of Christians to know the Word of God in order that we can then share it with the next generation? Yeah, thank you, Carmen. That's absolutely right. It is so important. And Langham Partnership, which, by the way, people can just find at uh, langham.org if they want to look at what we do, founded by John Stott, who passionately believed that Christians need more than just to know a few verses of the Bible, you know, memory verses here and there or a gospel promise here and there. They need to know the Bible as a whole, which doesn't mean that we, we've somehow got to memorize all of it, but we need to know it as a whole story, that it is, in fact, it is the story we are in. 
part of the problem is, as you say, that some people think, well, I've got my sins forgiven at the cross. I'll go to heaven when I die. And in between, I just live according to the way more or less the rest of the world lives. I live in the world story when, in fact, we have to live in the world, but we don't live by its story. We live by the story of God, which is the biblical story which puts us in that mission of God, uh, the mission that began with the resurrection and ascension of Jesus when he sends his disciples out into the world uh, to, to preach, to teach, to, to bring the nations to the obedience of faith through the word of God and through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in, in Langham, yeah, in the Langham Partnership, we believe very passionately that the church lives and grows through the word of God. Uh, and when it is denied good teaching of the Bible, then churches, ordinary Christians will, will shrivel and shrink, or they'll be very vulnerable to false teaching, to prosperity gospel, and all kinds of other heresies and nonsense that are there in the church, often because people are starved of the Word of God. So this little book, it's only a tiny book, but it, it does build on that assumption that we need to see the Bible as a whole, uh, and what better time to do that than as we approach Christmas and await the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Chris, as we uh, depart one another's company today, um, might I uh, ask you to pray for us, uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then extend that prayer to our brothers and sisters around the world? I will be pleased to do that comment, certainly. You want me to do that right now? Please do. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment of thinking about the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise and thank you that he did come, that you came down from heaven to be with us uh, in a human life, and then in your death on the cross and your glorious resurrection. And we thank you that your angels told those disciples that the Lord Jesus Christ will come again in the same way as he went to heaven. We thank you that we can look forward to that, but we pray that in the meantime you will make us worthy followers of the Lord Jesus as those who want to live for him, not only in what we speak and say, but in how we live and what we do. Be with us uh, in our own countries, wherever we are in the world, and in your world church, especially in those places where believers suffer for their faith and are persecuted and sometimes killed. We pray that you will be with them, encourage and bless them, and keep them faithful as you will keep us. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Christopher Wright, thank you so much for being with us today. The book is Rejoice, Advent in All the Scriptures. You can find Chris at Langham, L-A-N-G-H-A-M dot O-R-G. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, Carmen. Bye. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. Okay, on this Giving Tuesday, also Tasty Tuesday, uh, let me encourage you to not only taste and see that the Lord is good by opening up His Word and getting into it in order that it can get into you and out into the world that God so loves. So this is the process. You and I devour the Word of God. We take it in as our sustenance. Um, and we, we allow the Word of God to be that which sustains us, um, not, not by bread alone, but by the very Word of God. And then it nourishes us in such a way that we can then walk as the ambassadors of the kingdom of God out into the world that he so loves. And we can then deliver the word in meaningful ways to the world. Uh, so get the word, get into the word that the word can get in you, that when you go out into the world, the word can get into the world. So there you go. That's my, uh, that's my hoped for methodology 
on this Tasty Tuesday, also Giving Tuesday. Go ahead and give away what God has given you, the very gift of His grace. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.